Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to most. Oh, already I'm in the shit. <laughs> Hello, welcome to What Most People Think. You're right, this time it is not being hosted by your favorite, Jeff Morcott, because he has got a book coming out and, of course, begged me to lend a little showbiz magic to his launch week. My name is TV's Catherine Ryan. A lot of people know me as, what do they call me, like a, a BBC left-wing woke brigade feminazi. I've been called a lot of things, and then they feel really agitated when they find out Jeff and I are friends. There's a real incongruity there. Yeah. There's a real incongruousness. They go, how, it, what? No, but we thought we knew everything, and you don't deviate from who you are. But here I am, Jeff. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, our friendship, it does cross boundaries. It's a bit like a, a sort of uh, a non-romantic Montague Capulet thing, I'd like to think. We well, just, I'm glad just... to know that you don't find it romantic because <laughs> I really thought that we we're cooking something up here. The way, we, we, we are, you know, like we are, we're doing... I'd like to say I was trying to piss off my dad, but he'd be thrilled because he's <laughs> like you. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. I, I do all right with dads, you know, most... Yeah, yeah normal people outside the social i do i do okay with them but unfortunately they're, they're not always the kind of people that are on social media so you could get your dad on twitter that would be good do you know what i've learned about social media uh, and my husband as you know my current husband bobby and you know i think that when we first met we both had ideas that each of us was less centrist than we actually are and then mm he has opened my eyes to a lot of the things that you have too. And I love that your book is suitably called how the left lost me because did I say it right? Is that a good no, that is it. I, I think it means oh, yeah. I'm blaming the left. I'm a victim blaming. That's the first, <laughs> that's the first thing in the right wing playbook, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I think that what we grew up with uh, as being liberal or being woke or whatever that has really changed. And mm. Social media now, it feels like on all sides, is just about getting whipped up and getting angry no matter which side you're on. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things where I speak to a lot of people on, on the liberal left is like there's the conversations that you have publicly and then a lot of people reach out in in person. They're like, this is moving very fast. I think there's that thing <laughs> in politics is called the Overton window, right? What's considered the centre ground. But yeah. I think culturally that's moved so quick that eventually people are like, oh, that's nipping at my heels now. You know, it's you know, old phrase, ask not for whom the bell tolls. And suddenly mm. it's tolling for all of us. I don't know if you saw that thing earlier on, on Huffington, Huffington Post was about all those comedians apologising. They had like a list of the top 15 apologies. Oh. And, you know, a couple of them I think were genuine, but then so much of it was ass covering, you know, like so yeah. much of it was like, uh, I don't want this to affect stuff. Is <laughs> is <it's> different from... <laughs> Is different from I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, my, I didn't see that. Were any of them women? Yeah, a couple were. So Tina Fey, I mean, she'd done like four black faces. And right. She's, you know, like once. I think they say you're allowed one in a career, you know. <laughs> well, this is what I think especially uh, young people don't realize is that culture moves on, society moves mm. on, what we say and what we don't say changes and evolves and to take anything from the early 2000s when to be fair I'm, I'm not saying it's okay but there are comedians who just didn't really understand that it was a hurtful yeah. or like a triggering image for people it was just oh this is fun and we're all in the joke together um now that's not acceptable but they're not able to rewind and go oh let's judge this based on the time that it was produced and so you end up apologizing for stuff like I used to shit my pants how about that I was a year old I'm really sorry but you know it's not easy being um a little bit woke either because then you're on a pedestal where they expect oh, so much from you and I, it's like, well, um 
Yeah, I often say I think I, 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 people say, oh, "Is it hard being like a right wing comic?" I definitely not because the starting point for me is that I'm a shithead in a lot of people's eyes. So okay. if I come in under the shithead threshold, people are like, "Oh, he was way less shitheady than I thought." Whereas, <laughs> and I think often the left do this to comics like yourself is like they apply like like they see you as woke, and then they appoint comics like yourself as the high priestess of woke, which you've never done. And then they've imposed these moral rules, which then if they get breached, we're like, well, this is a a, a charade. You know, no, no, it was was projection of you all along, you know. And I find... That's it. I've always been a shithead. I've been trying to communicate that. I know that. I know that. I'm out there fighting the fight. Every time I retweet some of yours, I'm inherently saying, you know, she's got got (laughs) issues. And I, I, the, the thing that I'd probably get cancelled for is like they found something from me from 2005, just like doing a really lazy joke about George Bush. Yeah. If I was just going out there going, that guy's stupid. And then it was like the, the facade, just like all the fucking rest. If you, know? you had a year as a vegan, they'd be livid. His lost vegan year. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really preachy about it as well. And there was some real like MySpace blogs that I did around the time and, yeah. Like I had like white dreadlocks and <laughs> so I want to ask you, Jeff, hmm. how the left lost me. Was this just something you decided to do because there was a lockdown risk that you might not have any more work and become poor? Or <laughs> why? Why? Well, it was incredible, wasn't it? Like the when lockdown first happened, <clears throat> a lot of comedians we discovered our love of writing, didn't we? It was it was, it was cathartic. <laughs> That we're like, you know what? And podcasts. Yeah, and podcasts. (laughs) To the point where I think, um, like with podcasts, if if podcasts had existed in the Second World War, Britain would never have got through the Blitz. People would have been running into the street and just saying, take me now, Hitler. Because, (laughs) but yeah, the book book was actually commissioned. It was after the, the shock, well, the shock, but totally expected election result of 2019. It was so funny that night because, like, it, we were both together in the Channel 4's yeah. thing, and you ended up having to be, because they realised no one in the studio wanted to laugh, you ended up having to be, like, a quasi-news anchor, which was not the gig as it was sold, right? I, it was a terrible night, Jeff, because I really thought they were going to have us chatting, and yeah, there was yeah. no room for comedy, and that was no executive fault or producer's no, no, fault. No. It was just when... Those polls came out, the exit polls, it was the jeopardy was sucked out of the show. It was so and I get so much grief about that, being like, oh, you the look on your face. I'm like, first of all, my face only has one look. And secondly, <laughs> if I was disturbed at all by the result, it was because I knew I had to sit there for eight hours. Eight hours, yeah. And I wasn't gonna be able to be funny because it was too cut and dry and there were people in the audience who were crying they were crying I mean I've had that in life before when I've done comedy but not in that (laughs) situation I mean it was just so definitive it's like okay that is definitely going to happen and then shortly after that and this is the thing I was lucky that night because I had to go on and I fucking bombed I went on with Stanley Johnson right so they found two Tories shortly after the exit poll and I'd sit there with Matt Ford and you know Matt Ford very funny man loads of great impressions remember he was doing his Boris Johnson impression. It was getting a reaction in the room and stuff. But then they came to me and Stanley, and I just remember that face that you see a lot from a certain kind of woman who's not predisposed to your point of view. She had the, ugh, ugh, this, this prick. And I was like, fuck. So I just, I tried a few bits of humour. And then they cut my section, like, in half. It was it was supposed to be, like, eight minutes long. And after three minutes, they were like, right, get him out of there. Did they? Yeah, had to go back to Green Room. And then came out, and later on, it had just become a straight political discussion show, which was fine. I can always do that. But straight after that, there was this kind of appetite. Well, how the hell has this happened? All these working-class people ended up voting Conservative. I think that people always thought Southerners were selfish enough to vote Conservative. But when Northerners started doing it, and mm. then I thought, that's the question I always got asked the most. Like, because of... I had a trade union dad, disabled parents, you know, spent a period of my life growing up on a council estate. It was always, well, how the hell did you end up being a Tory? And it, I just thought, well, why not just tell that story, you know, try yeah. and try and, and, and work it out. And it's kind of interesting because like you go back and you saw, there was a period where I was left wing and voted Labour. But when I really went back, I could tell when I was about nine, I had a real issue with women wearing dressing gowns after 9am and <laughs> I would, and I still do. 
Um, you and my daughter's headmaster. I mean, nightmares. Really? Is he banned now? The school gates? Is he? Yeah, yeah. It's really what? fucked up my morning. So thanks a lot. Well, I, I didn't know this was your platform. If I'd known this was part of your manifesto, <laughs> I'd be along with everyone else thinking you're an absolute shit for ruining <laughs> my school run. Well, look, I'll just say I think it's a sign of fecklessness. I can't get that out of my head. But it's <laughs> it's a sign of small C conservatism, I think. It was I came back from school. My mum basically hadn't hadn't got dressed. And now she had plenty of reasons why life had been hard enough that she was catching a break at that point in her life. But when I started to look back, I sort of thought, oh, yeah, like, because whatever your whatever you vote is just a manifestation of your position on the political dial. And I think the dial is formed by much smaller things, which is your relationship with individuals, your sort of your moral compass. And that was, that was probably one of the earliest uh, examples of that. Um, and then ever since, you know, COVID happened and everything. And I, I sort of thought while I was writing the book, should I try and cover that? And I thought we're still fucking happening. You know what I mean? If I just yeah. stop and finish it on that fateful night at the Riverside studios, then I think that that would make more sense. So, and also, crucially, you wrote it before Matt Hancock became a thing. Well, yeah, I mean, like, there were periods, I don't care how conservative you are, if there were periods that you, you it was tested, like, particularly last year, if you think, I mean, things have changed very quickly. But if you, you're someone like me, I wasn't an out and out, like, lockdown skeptic, but I did wonder about the collateral damages of these things, and I, and I still do. Yeah. And then you had Matt Hancock sort of being, like, the nation's stepdad that was just yeah. kind of like, and not like a, I had a stepdad that was such a great figure in my life. I'm not, I'm not talking about that kind of stepdad, right? I'm talking about the one that you get when you're 17 that still thinks they can, <laughs> they can lay down some rules in the house. He was that guy. And I found it as someone, you know, with a libertarian streak, like, what the fuck are you, why are you talking like my stepdad? I don't. Don't talk to your mother that way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. You're much my mother, okay? Don't you, stop fucking my mom. Yeah, stop fucking my mom, Matt. You met her two years ago on a fucking cruise when she was at rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> you swept in when you knew she was vulnerable. Yeah. You're a vulture of my mom. And yeah, uh, I, I think political, I think a lot of people's political faith has become non-binary, to quote a modern phrase, but like it all yeah. got confused, didn't it? Because suddenly it, there were a lot of people that you expected to have views on lockdown that, that, that didn't. And yeah, I just, there were a lot, it's very strange that people presume that I like conservative politicians. I don't realize that one of the founding principles of conservatism is pragmatism. It's an alliance of convenience, you know? Well, I like a joke that you told um, on stage when we were still allowed to be on stages that was about what, you know, why did you, do you regret voting for a conservative government? And you said, well, no, but I regret not getting one. Yeah, I still, I, I think a lot of people did feel that because for all yeah. that Boris was touted, there's loads of problems with Boris Johnson, right? Loads. But really? the idea, I mean, what, what, what they, we're recording this, there'll probably be more problems by the time I've edited this and put it out. There'll be even more, like, bigger problems. But It's not nice to call them problems. You know, they're <laughs> children, Jeff, and they will grow up and feel the shame of being abandoned. That was definitely how his lawyers would have referred to it, wasn't it? The the problem. We had a chat about the problems. But he, I mean, he, like, politically is so centrist. Like, he's not that far away from Tony Blair or anyone like that. So it's a very strange period to have somebody being touted as, you know, very much on social media as this, this far-right person. And mm. actually, the one thing that COVID has made me think in a way is that there's probably only really one way of governing the country is probably this kind of slightly centrist thing. You can tweak it one way. Do you know what I mean? Or you can, you can tweak it a bit left or you can tweak it a bit right. But the idea like of like a Thatcher or some, you know, or Clement Attlee, you can come in and do something radical. I, I just don't think, you, I think there are too many YouGov polls for anybody to do anything radical now. I worry about what type of person wants that job. I mean, do you think, politicians can be individualists at all anymore do you think any of them have power to make anything happen or is it now this weird corporate purgatory where they're just trapped in uh all these I don't know like I just feel I do feel Jeff very um 
dejected lately mm. and I don't have the enthusiasm or, and I don't think sometimes that I can make a difference. Doesn't mean that I don't continue to vote, but now I'm like, what is this thing? It's just gotten bigger than, you know, I certainly, when we talk about lockdown and conspiracy theories and everything else, I don't think any one of these guys is powerful enough to really be pulling any secret strings that we don't know about. They're not that good. I would love to think that they had the chops to coordinate this. I would find that massively reassuring to think that there was, because then you think, well, then they're capable of, then they're capable of planning, but they're not really, they're not really capable of planning. We still don't really have a, a fully working test and trace. Well, actually, a lot of people say test and trace. The test is a bit of it. They're two factions. Test bit of it works fucking dream. The trace bit is the thing. No one's traced fucking shit. They've got <laughs> these, these weird, like, what are they, like, PIs, like private investigators, but getting paid money, sitting around to just ring people who are just evidently ghosting them and blanking them. Yeah. That was never going to work in this country. Like, if that, if you're in a more authoritarian country and you just ring up and you go, hi, uh my name's uh, i was just gonna do a really stereotypical north korean name then but then <laughs> a real, i kim my name's kim i i'm from the north korean uh test and trace people go okay i'll tell you exactly where i am all right because i know that there are consequences for this right These fucking supply teachers ringing you up you're going shut up you mug i'm not I'm not telling you anything oh yeah they're not intimidating at all and it's the same people who come around to check that you filled out the census yeah I had this woman come to my door. I did not. I spoke to her through the speaker system. I did not even come down the stairs. <laughs> I was like, Tracy, get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'll tell you who's in my house at the moment that I don't want in there. Tracy. <laughs> Tracy's now in my census. Yeah. shouldn't be. And Tracy, checking out my fucking census, wasn't wearing a mask either, so... You just pick and choose the rules you want to follow, Trace. Trace. Track and trace. (laughs) So do you hope, yeah, I say, what are your aspirations for the book? Do you hope to indoctrinate people? Yeah, very much so. Well, I suppose the the only thing, when I started talking about this this stuff was 2013. I know often it gets portrayed that, Basically, Brexit happened, and I went, you know, again, credit crediting me with a government level of super planning. I just went, oh, I'll be right wing now, and I'll get work. I'd, I'd actually been even sort of sort of flogging it since 2013, but just because I thought it was interesting, because I thought there was this idea in this sphere that I worked in. One that all comedians were left wing, which I knew for a fact wasn't true, and yeah. two that like like there was goodies and baddies, and I thought it was like hilariously simplistic. It's almost like childlike to think that. Well, it's it's Jedi versus Sith, and lo and behold, all my guys are the Jedi's. Everyone on the other side is a baddie, and I also thought that from the left wing's point of view, it it was clearly counterproductive because the more that you demonise the other electorate, the more they were like, "Well, fuck you!" You know, if you get called selfish and stupid or racist, like the journey back is really hard then because somebody else burnt the bridges. So, the book, I suppose, is just another step in that of going. I suppose I'm always trying to be given subtle advice to the left, which probably lefties would get really annoyed and think is an arrogant thing to say. But I'm kind of, if you look at a lot of stuff I did on Mash Report, it was a lot of it was going, this is how people like me see you, right? Yeah. So if you want, if you want to win like a broad consensus, because that's what I don't get, Kath, is a lot of people saying, if the Tories are so evil, you would do whatever it took to get in power. And yet, Certainly with the Corbynista type movement, they didn't want to make a single fucking concession because it was more important to sort of have the right badges on their stupid blazer than <sighs> than actually than actually control the treasury purse strings. So I actually think yeah. there's a level of moral narcissism in that, uh, which I've always found a bit odd. So I don't think it's indoctrination, but I think that there are a lot of people like yourself uh, who don't make as much noise online, who, who don't want to think, oh, I'm living in a country where 52% of people are awful or 44% of people are awful. You're actually like, it would be nice to not think I live around a bunch of pricks, really. It's actually make you happier to think, oh, right, that's their reasons. It's not just selfishness. Yeah. Well, there's no nuance anymore. There's no context and we don't listen. And I do think that now everything is presented in such an inflammatory way. And Bobby and I, my husband, we had a lot of time to discuss, I mean, every single thing 
uh, you said it best when you said the conversation had reached a critical low in lockdown with couples. And he was explaining his point of view with me politically and mostly with American politics, which Canadians follow because our politics are just too boring ever since that crackhead died. (laughs) And so we just, we follow kind of American politics and he would have videos on, I would listen to uh, Jordan Peterson speeches, or he'd be listening to someone criticizing Joe Biden or, and, and I would think, well, hang on a minute. And I would say to him, no, but um, Trump's government has done this and they have done this that's horrible and racist and they've done this and they've kept these children in cages and this, because this is what I've been told. Hmm. And you look at it now and I mean, there seem to be even more unaccompanied children in cages than before, but all of a sudden it's not on the news. And he's opened my eyes a lot to how information on both sides, not just one or the other. Data is manipulated, information's manipulated. And so I think I kind of agree with him on the point that it's in someone's interest to make sure that we are divided exactly down the middle and quite angry. Well, because it's easier to do politics from that position because you just go, all right, what are they saying? Well, we're the, we're the opposite. We're, what, yeah. what's your, it's almost like they divide it out between, right? You're pro-immigration, we're anti-immigration, everyone knows where they stand, right? And I think what you say is absolutely true. I mean, with Obama, like I was an Obama fan. I was I was like euphoric the night he got voted for. I wasn't exactly sure why, other than the fact that it was historic. You've got eyes. I didn't I didn't know what his politics were, but I was like, he's a black guy, he's president. And it used to be a running joke about the idea that a black person could be president. So I thought that was inspirational. But beyond that, I always felt like it was this style over substance thing where I'm like, well, he makes me feel great, right? When Obama speaks, I but you the amount of things that happened under his tenure, and it's not to like to mm. to to sort of dispute some of the stuff that Trump did, but you do start to realise the level of editorialising. I was listening earlier today. There was a, a report on Radio Four about how Brexit was going, right? And this was like the chief correspondent uh, in Europe for Radio Four News, and he he used like two clips from 1970s sitcoms in Britain to illustrate his point. One of them was Dad's Army. And one of them was the Lightly Lads. And both of them were basically sort of suggesting that Britain is incredibly xenophobic, but not just like 2021 xenophobia, but like 1970s. And I was just, oh. I just I, you know, you can't ignore the fact that it goes on. But I think the delusion would be to think that there isn't, it doesn't sort of balance itself out a bit. But the problem is people can be so selective now. So if you want to just bury your head in the arsehole, of your exact opinions, you can do that all day long. That's that's the dangerous thing now, the moral certainty on both sides. Okay, just interrupting the chat with Kath for a second there. I uh, hope you're enjoying the chat that we're having and thank you very much, Catherine Ryan, for, for doing this for me, for giving her time, man. She has been a good friend to me over the years. And look, people aren't as spiky to me in the industry these days as they were originally, but Kath stood up for me at a time when it was genuinely, you know, quite a big deal uh, to do so. So thanks to her for that. Uh, yeah, you'll listen to this. Hopefully the podcast will have been put up Tuesday, which means that if you order it, you'll get it by Thursday, right? Like you can actually get it this week. So all this time I've spent hyping it is actually available this week. You can get it through Amazon. You can get it through Waterstones. You can go into a Waterstones. Fucking hell. Hey, the liberties we have today. You could walk into a shop and buy it off the shelf. I presume most of you will order it uh, online. And just to echo something I said on last week's podcast, once you've got it, once you've read it, the best thing you can do me is, is giving it a little review online. I'd imagine the predominant ones would be on... Amazon. I mean, obviously, if you've liked it, I mean, if you haven't liked it, just, you know, take that to the grave. But if you have liked it, five stars would be great, man, because there's going to be, I suspect there might be one or two people coming for me uh, on this. So if you want to support me uh, in that way, I know you already would have supported me by buying the book, but if you could just go one extra step and do those reviews, whether it's here on Amazon or Waterstones or or any of the places that you can leave um, reviews. And just before we go back to the chat of Kath, I just want to say actually a specific thank you in terms of getting the book out, um, you know, and creating an environment in which it can thrive and flourish. And you might think for that, I'd say my family, my wife, my parents, uh, maybe the editor of my book, my agent. No, it's actually the Labour Party because, well, you know, a few weeks ago, <laughs> this proposition 
was a very different proposition about explaining why you voted Tory. And yet the, the events of the weekend and the Labour Party have done their absolute best to uh, help explain why this story needs to be told. So thank you to all of them. Uh, thank you to Keir Starmer, Angela Rayner for falling out. I mean, I could just imagine now I'm at the BAFTAs, you know, the Oscars, just just thanking the Labour Party. You, you've got fair play to the Labour Party. You've got to give them credit. When they fall out, when they fall out, it's a proper, full-on fucking fight at a wedding, isn't it? There's women who've had the fascinators pulled out with little clumps of hair, uncles fighting each other, police called, bride gets charged with ABH. So fair play to the Labour Party. They don't do things by half measures. When the Tory party fall out, it's just a bit sad and weird, isn't it? It's just a, did I upset you, Peter? Whereas the Labour Party, that's the one thing that's still very working class about them, is they, they, they fall out and it, it's more like, it's less like a political dust-up and more like an actual fucking punch-up. Okay, let's get back to the chat with Catherine Ryan. We obviously met through the stand-up comedy circuit. We got on as friends. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree. I always find you to be very talented and enlightening. Talk to me about stand-up. Uh, your first ever time on stage, you got laughs by accident. Yeah. Yeah, it was a... Um, so me, uh, my mum and dad went on holiday, and it was just before their divorce. So it was one of those weird, hard-drinking, euphoric but kind of like last days of Rome holidays for a family. I, you know, the worst thing is there, Cap. I've said that like every family would then go, oh, one of those holidays. One of my big mistakes is to not realise <laughs> that some of the shit things that have happened didn't happen to everybody. I'm just like, yeah, you know, like when your dad's got one arm and your mum's in a wheelchair. I know. And then your mum's an orphan and, and shit, your dad's got a drink <laughs> problem. And it's going, no, no, not, not all that stuff, Jeff. Most people have some of that stuff. But when we- did you become aware that that was not everyone's family? Uh, halfway through writing the book, uh, <laughs> your publishers were like, "Wait, wait, what?" Yeah, I, I, they, they kept sending back stuff. They were just sending people around, going, "Are you okay?" They just kept sending flowers <laughs> every day. I haven't even finished the book, but I—it was a weird holiday. Like it was very memorable. Yeah. There were lots of good things that happened, but they had a thing called a best cowboy competition, which is still—I don't really know what that is. Very right wing. Very. <laughs> <laughs> but we were all in, in Britain, like like in the eighties. We were so, I, I presume it's the same in Canada. But in the eighties, America was even more glamorous and and shiny in our minds than ever because Britain was still very dull. We hadn't had a lot of investment for a while, and so we just thought everything American was great. So we had a, something called a best cowboy competition, and all the boys went on stage and just said things in sort of cliched cowboy accents. And I was backstage, and I had to. I was just sort of keeping an ear on this, thinking, right, what is it that I've got to do? But it's fair to say, you know, and I think people sort of will get it from reading. I I, I didn't fully understand, like, what it meant to be a cowboy, put it that way. (laughs) I I thought I could keep my name. They were all making up, like, real cowboy names, and I was Jeff the Cowboy. And I just was – I didn't put on an American accent or or anything. I just thought, I'm Jeff. Yes. I come from – you know, South London, and I like, was quite factual, and <laughs> and and and, um, and yeah, I got. I, they, I remember. I remember the sound of of like laughing. I do genuinely, clearly remember that. And and it's gonna sound a bit wanky, but I did think at that point, oh, everything's okay. Like right now, for whatever reason, everything's okay, and it might not last long, but it's everything's all right. And it's really weird because when stand ups talk about their first ever gigs, it's like, yeah, man, I fucking. The adrenaline rush was so high. I, I, I got on top of a train and and just like looked at the stars. I was like, it wasn't at all like that for me. It was more the opposite. Was it calmed me down? And I was like, ah, oh, everything's all right. I just, just have a cup of hot milk and I go to bed. Very strange reaction to stand up. That was it. It's like a diffuser. You just we both have that. unusual first experiences. Of Yours was hosting a, a competition, wasn't it? A beauty competition. First of all, as a cowboy, saying that your name is Jeff, and it really is, saying you're from South London and you really are, I mean, that is the most cowboy. I hope that you won because that is the true <laughs> essence. You displayed the essence of a cowboy. Yeah. A cowboy is not pretending to be someone that he's not. A cowboy <laughs> certainly isn't prancing around with a fake accent. <laughs> a cowboy is authentic. It's and, true. It's true. It's something oddly yeah. camp about pretending to be a cowboy. Yes, it's almost Marlon Brando instincts that you displayed then. You were just like, I am a cowboy. 
No, you will not get a performance out of me. I am a cowboy. I stand here as a cowboy. That would that would those comments were echoed in the judges summing up for second place. <laughs> I mean, that second, but that's all right. Second place, but I, I still don't really. I don't think anybody demonstrated. I don't think anybody present that night demonstrated what you'd call cowboy skills. So there's just a pedophile who wanted to round up all the little boys on holiday <laughs> and be like cowboy night. I fancy cowboy night. Okay, which one of you little boys could be the best cowboy? We did it's the photo bit was the longest part of the process. It must be said. <laughs> yeah. Just put on these chaps. Awful, Jeff. I mean, <laughs> you've had a rough. You've had a rough time. They've been. Yeah, things have been. Yeah, it's it's been. So this is where I go, bloking out. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I do cover it in the book. I mean, I'm aware that we've. It's not an autobiography as such, more of a memoir. But there is a section there on the griefs and things that happened to me in the middle part of the last decade. And that was another thing, I suppose, because basically the timeline was 2009, lost my mum, 2014, uh, I'm going to say this in a really matter-of-fact way, me and my wife, uh, we lost a baby at 34 weeks, then eight weeks later, my best mate died, then a year later than that, my dad died, and then nine months after that, my stepdad died, and I remember you you, you were just becoming my friend during this time, I don't know what the fuck you must have thought, this guy's an absolute train wreck. No, I liked it. I like the honesty. I like the raw vulnerability of it. I don't like small talk. No. So when I go out for drinks with a new friend at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and he tells me about his terrible losses, and yeah. that, I'm sorry, like I get no pleasure from it, but that is the most comfortable setting that I could be in. It just cuts the ship. So I appreciated it a lot. Well, yeah, no, I did. I appreciate having someone to talk about, but I did, I was conscious at that time of like how blokes process grief and stuff like that. And it is, you can't be too secure about the gender differences between these two things, but I do think there are some specific ways that blokes react to stuff. And I do speak about that a bit in the book, but also like any comic, I can't, it's not a long serious section in the book. And obviously we're losing a baby, you know, there's no real redeeming stuff to that. And then even my best mate, but with my mum and my dad, there were funny stories. Like, yeah. My dad was, I remember actually, I remember one night, right? He was, even though he was a socialist, apparently he still, he had this tiny little share portfolio and he had, a, <laughs> he had an investment in a Bangladeshi tin mine, right? Only like 500 quid, but he was obsessed with it. So I was at his house when he was really ill at one point. And I thought I wanted to be on watch when it happened. Like I thought I'd, I'd step up as a man. I'll be there and deal with that. And I heard this crashing downstairs in the middle of the night. I thought, right, he's gone. He's fucking gone. It's you. It's on you. I went downstairs. He's sitting there fully upright with his laptop open and he looks fine. I said, what the fuck are you doing? He goes, I'm looking at my Bangladeshi tin mine investments. I mean, he was, he was hours from, from death basically. And here he was oh. looking at his Bangladeshi tin mine thing. And he just looked at me and he went, Jeffrey, go to bed, you prat. That's it. Oh. Just asserted. I mean, those weren't the last words, Kath. If those are the last words, that'd be an extra counseling investment i think it would be yeah be tough to make sense of that go to bed you prat well do you know what though sometimes there are no last words it's just it will be go to bed you prat or it'll be like what do you want for lunch or it'll be and i i love the honesty in that and i think again going against the tide of things what who decided that we don't talk about death that that's mm. not a huge part of life is that is that woke again? Like, oh no, you can't joke about certain things and you can't, well, it's my family. Like, if well, I yeah, I had, that with, well I, had, I had that with my dad's disablement when I did joke about uh, him having one arm and the Paralympics and I'm live at the Apollo. And I have had people sort of say like, you're trivializing, you're getting cheap laughs out of disablement. And you go, no, my dad was getting cheap laughs out of disablement. I'm just jumping, I'm piggybacking his cheap laughs. You really want to, <laughs> You really want to talk to my dead dad about this. He's 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 your guy. But yeah, you just think, how fucking dare you? Like if it and I've never really one thing I don't do, and I think that you're the same with this as, as well, is that I don't I don't really embroider reality because I don't have to, because I've had a lot of well, yeah. my parents, parents were fucking mental, basically. So it, I I it's really strange whereby I can take any shit like people are like you're not funny, you're a piece of shit, mm. you've got sad eyes, you've got a massive forehead, right? You're chubby. I get all, all this stuff. But the moment they accuse me of disingenuity, I go full, you know, Marty McFly when he gets called yellow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I really, what was that? What was that? You say I'm making this up. 
because I, I just that's such an important thing to me is honesty and obviously yeah. with the politics I talk about I've had to take that quite a lot and 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 you kind of think well do you not think all comedians are using a bit of hyperbole right they're okay. they're, they're cranking reality just a, a bit so yeah I mean in a weird way having mental parents it certainly was troubling but it's left me with some good stories On the subject of changing your mind, mm. you grew up in a labor household. You are conservative now. You ran as a Lib Dem candidate in your school mini election. So you've been all over the houses. Tell me about I did. that. I've, I've, I've been putting it, yeah. I've been put, I think most people do vote for quite a few people. But when I was like, it was 1992, the general election of that year, my mum, you know, I, had a lot, I was a lot closer to my mum at that time. And she was a, she was a Lib Dem. She ran to be a Lib Dem councillor. But I think she might have just done that to piss off my dad. To be honest, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how committed she was. But yeah, we had a mini election at our school, and it was really it was an all boys school. And I I really took it seriously. Like I really <laughs> I lost myself halfway through the campaign. I seemed to think that there was some sort of chance of office for me. I don't know when. Just like the Lib Dems, really, they start an election campaign. They're never going to be in power. But halfway through, I decided there was. <laughs> some remote chance but I had to do this maybe they just weave that into you as a young man like maybe this is why the houses of parliament are stacked with all these very weird spartan like men who are ripped from their mothers put in these schools with only other boys and they're just jostling for power I mean they train you up for that even in your yeah even in south london comprehensive but the school I don't know if you know this was the, the school I was at was a comprehensive but John Major went there. He was oh. um, he was prime minister at that time, and he was fighting for re-election. So weirdly, even though it's a comprehensive, there was a route to power. As I saw it, I thought if John can do it, I could. I could, <laughs> I could do it. I mean, look, I'm 15. Some would say he's too young. I say if you're good enough, you're young enough. If you're if, you, yeah. if you're young enough, I I. But halfway through that campaign, I had to stand up in front of him. The school and we did a bit of debating i remember the guy that was doing the conservative thing he was just a lot smarter and more worldly than me he just asked this question about taxes so i said it's greedy it's greedy to want to keep all your money and he said what why is it greedy uh to want uh, why is it not greedy to want some of other people's money i was like fuck it absolutely blew your mind you know because if you talk about higher tax take you talk about you know sort of benefiting from other people's financial wealth now you can make arguments about infrastructure and how we all benefit from a functioning society but he completely slayed me in the middle of this debate and i just got up to speak and i was like i uh, I, I don't know i i mean i could at that point literally <laughs> got i am i had tory i tory i am tory <laughs> he just well, i i mean i think it, it's just a very inherent human nature that if you have loads and someone else has none Mm. then whatever reasons they have for having none I don't think it's greed I think oh shit they have none and it's very nice to share but I think what the Tories are doing right now from my perspective anyway I mean and it's not like I think there's a hero in any party I think these bunch of MPs right now are particularly thieving bastards um, criminal if you ask many but they take all of the all of the money mm. and then just give it to the people who have even more loads of money it's not like if my taxes were going to the nurses and the the people who actually needed it and people with disabilities and people who had very little and needed help that would make me i would feel great about paying tax Hmm. But it's all it's all like fucked up. And yeah, I do now. think that some of this nepotism will come back to haunt them because at the moment we're like Matt Hancock's going, uh, we did it because it made sense at the time. But I think historically that argument, there's been a lot of situations in history where it made sense at the time. Tina Fey's <laughs> blackface. <laughs> but just on level, mm. like I do, I do believe in progressive taxation, but I just think there's this fair play limit. I've always thought. 20%. Just make it 20% for everybody. No, no fucking about, no loopholes, 20%. So one day out of every five, you're working for someone else. I think that is at a level where most people can kind of sort of buy into it. But then sometimes I look around and you look at everything's taxed and planning permission, fucking VAT. Mm. The worst one, the worst one has got to be stamp duty. So when you buy a house, for some reason, yeah. 
Like, you know, like when it's your birthday and you've got to bring in cakes for everybody and no one ever fucking explains why. <laughs> that is that is, yeah. stamp, that is stamp duty. This great thing happens in your life. They're like, and the government, they hear about it. Uh, we, we, we'll, have a, we'll have a bit of that. Yeah, why the fuck yeah. are you getting involved in this? This is nothing to do with you. Well, outside of the politics, I know mm. you went to a liberal arts college. You worked in advertising. You're a very strict teacher. It feels like you've had five lifetimes before this comedy career and you know which you've cleverly parlayed into maybe maybe running for office one day quasi people are talking i mean it has gone quick i mean even when i've stopped to think about not long you know what the weekend stag and hens circuit is like it really wasn't that long ago that people were in throwing like inflatable penises at me and then i remember when i did alternative election i was sitting there i was thinking it's a strange journey you know like it's a stretch. <laughs> I, I, it wasn't planned because I, I wouldn't. No one would make um, that plan. But you got you got to tell you who you do have to feel for. Emma, my in laws, right? Because when they when Emma met me, I proposed. I had a job in advertising. They didn't really know what it was, but they're like, "It's advertising. It must be well paid." It wasn't, but they thought that. Then I was like, "I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to retrain." They're like, "Oh, you know, he's getting a little training bursary. He's going to have solid employment." Then shortly after that, I'm going to be a comedian. And, and to be honest, I might as well have said I'm going to be a professional BMXer. <laughs> that was how much of a reference point they had for that <laughs> career shift. Can you imagine, like, with, with, with Violet, like, say you never knew comedy, and then she comes yeah. home with this fella, and he's like, I'm, I'm going to concentrate on my on my TikTok. We know TikTok makes money. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. no. This is, this is the nightmare. Oh, and you've put it so beautifully for our generation. Our children are going to come home with a partner and you're going to say, what are your aspirations? And that partner is yeah. going to go, well, I've changed them. So it was medicine and now TikTok. <laughs> and I don't know why, because the numbers game, if you, if you think about it, all these parents who discourage uh, careers in the arts, it takes 10 years at least to be a dentist and it's really difficult and not everybody makes it. If you want to be a lawyer, you don't always pass the bar the first time or the fifth time, you know, it's tough. Yeah. If you want to be a taxi driver, you got to pass that tough test. Not everybody does. What's the percentage? It's low, mm. wasn't it? And if you want to be a comedian, look, some of us can make a living from it. Many of us cannot, but it's amazing. You know, it can happen. And so where Emma's in-laws on the issue now, I bet they love it. Well, I, I, I mean, what I did at the time was I did hedge a bit. So there was a conservative element to it. it was like I carried on doing supply teaching. Yeah. Um, but weirdly, you know, like I learned more about teaching and, and controlling a room when I did supply teaching than anything in comedy or anything. Because like supply teaching is the basic principle of go in a room, make people trust and believe in you and have authority. And, and that was a fucking like some schools in Luton and Dunstable that were so rough. You have to develop, like, it's the same with being a comic. You develop a box of tricks. Although I would say one of the box, this isn't in the book, but one of the box of tricks I had was if I went into a really rough class, the trick that I would pull was if if I went in, they were throwing each other and fucking like lighting each other's hair off Bunsen burners or whatever, and just like sticking oh. stuff up each other's asses or whatever. I would go in that last bit. No one stuck anything up anyone's eyes. Not on my watch. They Jeff's thinking back to the cowboy contest again. <laughs> but. I, I would go in there and I would go, oh my God. And then I, I'd just slowly get their attention. I'd go, you're, you're the thick ones, aren't you? I've got the thick ones. And then that would immediately, because no one ever said that to me, even though they knew that was the group that they were in, right? You can't kid kids. They know intrinsically yeah. where they are in the streaming process. You've got this class of 30 kids that sit quietly with all little side partings and don't speak. And then you've got them that are fucking doing WWE, like elbow drops <laughs> off the table. They know what streaming is. So I just said, yeah, you're the, you're the, you're the, oh, you're the thick ones. This is going to be a nightmare, isn't it? And then I got their attention by that. And then you can't say that. You can't say that. I'll go, well, I think I did say it. And they go, well, we'll report you. <laughs> we'll report you. I said, you don't know my name. And then they said, well, your name's Mr. Norka. I said, that's what I said my name was. And <laughs> I, I found, I mean, it, I, look, I was walking a tightrope of never teaching again. But it fucking worked. Yeah. But what I got year was this? <laughs> this was, I mean, that is the most relevant question, is that would have been two, uh, between 2006 and 2008. Oh, see, teachers today will never know that joy. Yeah. Of being pre-camera free, phone. Being able to have a laugh. Yeah, pre-camera phone, crucially. Good for um, you. I mean, I grew up watching films like Michelle Pfeiffer and Dangerous Minds. Mm. 
That I had that in my mind. That, yeah. No, uh, that that two films, Dead Pilot Society, right? Every every teacher thinks this. Dead Pilot Society, oh captain, my captain, you're going to inspire these fucking kids, and then Dangerous Minds, where you're going to make a difference in this urban setting. The, the closest I ever came to that was I taught at a school in Brixton, and obviously people when you say Brixton, they'll be like, oh, that's a big deal. Truth is, these kids were the, the most well-disciplined kids you ever meet in your life because oh, yeah. they came from uh, a largely African and Caribbean background, so they had more religion in their life than almost any other kids. So you, if, when you can invoke God, right, that is a yeah. great authority. Whereas then I moved out to Watford. None of those kids went to church. <laughs> yeah. They spat at you me. Know, that's another thing that Bobby and I have discussed lately. And he is not religious, neither am I, but we're both raised quite religious. And um, he talks about nihilism. And he says that part of the conservative agenda especially in America, where most of his frame of reference is. I mean, just wait till he sinks his teeth into what the fuck's been going on here. But um, is religion and this connection to God and Mm. accountability to this higher deity. And when he sees, you know, the woke left uh, rioting and doing all these things, you know, whatever, whatever news source, because we get very different news streams on our phones. We're targeted, very different news. Um, he says, well, if you don't believe in anything, like religion had its problems, especially where my family comes from in Ireland. Like we all know that it's not perfect, but, um, people seem to think of each other. Like they have more discipline. I don't know. Do you feel like that's true? No, no, I I definitely agree. There was that stat that people that have a regular faith are 40% less likely to suffer from mental health problems. The counterpoint to that, I guess you would say, is that believing in a like a big guy with a beard who sits on a cloud and made everything is like just a different mental, <laughs> like yeah. a different mental health problem. But I, I certainly think that it evolved for a reason. There was evidently a reason that somebody was going. These fucking humans need getting in line, and yeah. there is there's such a quasi religious feel about wokery because it does seem to always be trying to uh, like as an act of one-upmanship in terms of virtue. All right, yeah. well, if you find that offensive, well, I find this offensive. And and it does seem like a game of top trumps that you can never win. And and I remember, like, years ago, I was going through loads of stand-up notes from 2014. And I, I remember I just wrote this line saying, the Puritans are coming. And I just, I, I, I wasn't clever enough to work out what I meant by that. But I just sort of thought, well, there's been successive generations of kids, certainly my generation, that drank more and took more drugs from our parents. And that's the way it had gone for a while. So the only thing that was possible after that was the only way left to rebel. If you took more drugs, you'd die, right? Yeah. So is to be virtuous, to, to drink less, to take less drugs, you know, to 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 sort of be so politically correct that, that you sort of exceed your parents. And that... That's definitely what's happened. You you do look at a lot of these people. Like, you know, there's that classic gif of the woman, the triggered woman that's kind of yeah. her jaws jutting out. She, I wonder what she's up to now, by the way. The triggered <laughs> woman. Do you think she tours? <laughs> yeah. She's doing art centers. <laughs> she's at the moment. You can get by. You can yeah. make a career off a gif now. Yeah, yeah. She's the triggered woman. But I sort of, straight away when I looked at her, I thought, there's someone that could go to church, right? I bet you, anyway, I haven't even met her. Just fucking go to church, love, all right? Stop trying to set fire to statues and just, <laughs> <laughs> just read some psalms. Well, I like that your parents feature so much in the book. I think it adds a lot of context um, to who you are. I think, you know, comedians definitely get put into a box. Jimmy Carr always said, it's good for them to have three things they know about you. Yeah. And I guess mine is like, I'm a single mom and I'm Canadian and, uh, you know, I don't know. I like Botox or I have a filthy mouth. I kind of look like a cartoon, you know, that works. But there's so much behind that. And I think that makes what you're saying in the book more accessible to people. I love getting to know your parents. Did, did you feel ever like you needed to get permission from them to write about their mental antics well i think one good thing is it's not a good thing but most of my family are dead um legally good thing oh <laughs> the lawyers were delighted like you know yeah. on the one hand side like the creative side was sending me flowers but the legal team was sending me flowers for different reasons their congratulations <laughs> yeah. on the on the lack of uh, <laughs> on the lack of sort of legal sort of baggage you're bringing into this i, I yeah. you know my sister my sister's around 
who, by the way, is such a big fan. I know this is like this is the, like the lamest thing to say, but she'll be so fucking psyched if the Joanna is her name. You got sister called Joanna as well. Joanne and Joanna, yeah. She just she just thinks you're the shit. Like all your your choices of home decor, like and your Instagram, you're very much a. a and I She's not her. wrong there. Thank so, you, Joanna. So simply saying her name to you in terms of I'm hoping will buy me some sort of credit with my sister. But no, I but don't I'm, tell her how much I actually know about her and hear from you. Like I'm all up in Joanna's business. I know all about the family. You know you're following Joanna by stealth. Is that yeah. what you're saying to me? Yeah, yeah. I know you better than you think, Joanna. <laughs> but you'd be nice to your brother because it all comes from him. But she, she, I mean, I was very conscious about that because there are stories. I'm very, very stuff where it's a shared story. And, and I spoke to her about things. And what was interesting as well was like, sometimes I was just straight up fucking wrong in my recollection of things. Like yeah. they, weren't, they weren't drunk that night. The police weren't called that day, you know. So, <laughs> when my she, dad tried to arrest two police officers. My dad did try to arrest two police. Yeah. I mean, that... The thing about like you know rejecting authority. When I look at my mum and dad, it's amazing that I'm more not more contrarian than I am because both of them <laughs> were. She, my mum hated. My dad just hated being told what to do. And there's a story yeah. in the book which I won't ruin the payoff. But essentially, he got pulled over uh, for a motoring offence, and then he decided that he spotted a different motoring offence which was perpetrated by the police. So he thought <laughs> he pulled them over. He pulled them over, and it and it results in something which comes out in the book, but. At the time, again, like you must have this with your folks, where you go, ah, oh, just parental stuff that's just happening yeah. again. At Christmas, we'd have all the family over and they'd drink, drink, drink. And I had, you know, my dad probably, he's the Irish one. He drank less than everyone else. Yeah. It's the Canadians who haven't been Irish for three or four generations who would get hammered. And I'd go to sleep, you know, like everyone does on Christmas Eve with the sounds of like breaking glass and fights and chatting. Well, family and then, Christmas, yeah. And Father Christmas would pop to the 24-hour chemist and fill my stocking with magazines and razor blades and, you know, whatever was still <laughs> on sale at 3 a.m. Lottery tickets. I got a few candies in there. You know, Christmas. Well, you've, you've got a book coming out, The Audacity, which is coming out. When's that coming out? September. Yeah, The Audacity. So- and I'm so, still like writing a bit of it now. So is is is, is that more like because I love the title first up, but is that is it gonna be family stuff in there or is it more sort of weighted towards the career or is it more is it or is it all of it? I've got a lot of family stuff in there. You know, people always ask you, like, how'd you get started in stand-up? And I think you will agree that it starts, you yeah. know, the writing's on the wall. You need a good foundation of trauma. Yeah. And odd little interactions with your parents or your sister or whomever. Like it it um it's a story that isn't it's not like one day I went to the comedy club and then this happened and that happened in the end. It's like, well, I was weird and things were weird and then I figured mm. it out, luckily. And I'm sure that's the same with you. So yeah, that's that's all in there. And then stuff from now, a few little celebrity scandals, talk about people I've had sexual relationships with, you know, it's all. That's what we like. That's one thing I love about your podcast is that there are, (laughs) there are so many podcasts of blokes talking, right? There's just so, so many. And I think that there's so, there's such like you, I mean, you've always spoke about politics, celebrity, personal stuff like, and it's such that we create such a broad range of subject matter. And and I, I just think like it's overserved the the bloke podcast market, and, and that's one thing I'm looking forward to with, with your book to see how that distills down in, into stories because you've got quite a narrative style about the way that you talk. Well, you too, and I loved your book, How the Left Lost Me. It's not all politics; it's got nuance. I think that's why you and I get along and we're very much alike. And I know you've probably had pushback from other comedians or people who say, you know, Jeff's just doing this to get on question time. Like everyone wants their terrestrial. I want that question time money. Actually, there's a couple of Patreon questions that reminded me. There was one guy that I got a question in late and he said, he just wanted to know, because I said to the patrons, right, you can ask anything you want. Um, He wanted to know what the fee was for question time. Right. Um, And he, and his um, his perception of the fee 
he must have thought, and there might be a few people think I'm getting rich off that question time money. I, I think this is massively indiscreet of me, and it might mean that I never get booked again. The fee for question time is £150. Yeah, well. Now, I don't know if that's is that for everybody. Like, that might just be the Jeff Norcott fee. <laughs> no, like, Question Time will definitely have a fee for everyone, and it's not high enough for the abuse. The I mean, what, here's my question. I will get to the Patreon questions before we go. This is all coming up right now. But my question is, what the hell? Why? Why put yourself <laughs> in that gauntlet? And have you ever done anything that garners more abuse yeah it's a lot i mean the good thing about it is, is i've done it enough that it's aversion therapy so you go through it enough times and then you go that didn't hurt me so i can now just do that however even the last time when i was going down to the studio and there wasn't going to be a live audience there was a point on that journey where i thought at this point i would pay three grand to not have to do this i was trying to work <laughs> out like have you ever thought that like what's the fee and I, three grand that's a lot of money that I just want to give you a gauge of what I would pay. I would sacrifice a family holiday, basically a really good family holiday to not do this. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Because the jeopardy is, is that you just say a thing in the moment. Like, for example, I'll give you yeah. an example. Like the one that I got in trouble for, I think it was the third time I was on. I was on, I was on quite a lot of medication for cold and flu stuff. Early on, they were talking about Shamima Begum, right? And yeah. for, this didn't, this isn't in the book, but Basically, my position on her initially sounded to the right of Jacob Rees-Mogg. And he Ooh. he actually chastised me. He went, well, you've got to remember she was a young woman. I was like, well, did I just go right <laughs> of Jacob Rees-Mogg? Fuck. And then later on, I started a rant about Donald Tusk, who was the, the Remainers loved him, was the head of the EU. And yeah. I, I just started going, well, why won't he do any interviews in Britain? If he says he's our politician, then come on, Andrew Marr. And then I said, at the end of the day, he hasn't got the balls for it. And I thought, that's not really question time speak, is it, Jeff? And then my name was trending alongside alongside the word stupid. Like it's Jeff Norcott, oh. and then you get a sub word and it was stupid. And I think like I did learn, a, I, I think, look, it, it, it was still, f the thing about question time is the people, they aren't really angry with you. They're angry with life. Yeah. So you just happen to fall into the slipstream of their shit. But I did think to myself, that's not really how I want to communicate. You know what I mean? That isn't very political speak but but having gone through that i was like you know what i trended with stupid i'm still alive fuck everybody you know there's nothing to be scared of now. <laughs> and that was the title that somehow didn't make it <laughs> i trended with stupid i'm still alive fuck everybody by jeff norcott okay let's get to the patreon questions um they're exclusively from men so if there are any women here or you know non-binary people who've come over because you wanted to hear my chat with my friend Jeff get in touch with him more what what the heck do you have like mostly men who like you do you, do you know what I, I've got hands up I I was there was a lot of questions and evidently the ones I've selected are all men and do you know what Kath it's a meritocracy they were just the best questions sorry Oh, <laughs> all white men as well. No Barry Carter Barry Carter is is clearly not a white name I I think that's unfair. <laughs> could be a woman, so shame could, on me. Could be. All right. The first is from Ivan Curry. Mm. He would like to know, is there anything you have liked to include, but you decided to self-censor due to the potential of ramifications of the cancel culture warriors? I don't, I think that generally, right, and it's a bit of arrogance, but I think I'm an all right human. I don't think I'm like a hateful human being. So I think if I think something, hopefully there's a decent chance that it's not a horrible thought. Um, yeah. But what I do have to do sometimes is communicate so carefully that I think I lose the comedic point. Well, you know, when you're trying to be like, and you know, and I'm not saying it, and you know, women could be mechanics just as much as men, and you're having to make all these exceptions. You go, that's kind of the enemy of comedy because comedy demands some very confident stereotypes about human nature. So if you're constant, if you're constantly acknowledging very minuscule like exceptions that's one thing i find as a dad i'm having to say i said because i need to equip him for the world he's in i'm saying son there is no reason a woman couldn't be a mechanic and then i sort of go almost none of them are but there's no reason that they couldn't be it. and and and, and maybe that happens in, in comedy a, a, as well and yeah he's probably right to just be or not being honest we all are as comics we might say you yeah, fuck that but you are slightly i suppose the one thing you don't want to do 
is trend when you didn't communicate well enough because you didn't communicate yeah. well enough, right? I that's can handle what it is. Yeah, and if you if if it was if the joke was bad, that's probably the reason as well. So that's yeah, that's the most honest answer I can give. Okay, the next question is coming from David Watts, who wants to know, Jeff, the culture of left and right tends to be read as goodies left and baddies right. You touched on this earlier. Hmm. I'm no longer comfortable mentioning your name in front of certain woke-like friends. They accuse me of trying to peddle right-wing podcasts. And thus, <laughs> they shut it and myself down from the conversation. Do you feel like a baddie, Jeff? Who's your favorite baddie? I mean... I think that's sexual undertones. Yeah, there was at the end. I, Papa. Um, I think <laughs> that I, I'd love to think that I was, this is the irony, isn't it? Like, I think basically I'm a right wing centrist dad, is what I am. It's the least sexy, edgy thing. That's, and, and I often get shit about saying, oh, oh, you're not that edgy. I don't think I've ever said I was edgy. I, that's, that's the joke is that I get to have really everyday opinions that because of the industry are presented as refreshing or whatever. I think that I do get a lot of messages like these now, particularly people that work in universities that have been told off for liking me. I mean, it might just be a taste thing. Like they're going, no, he really is shit. Like you, we, <laughs> we think less of you, Dave, and, and your views on comedy. But trying to peddle right-wing podcasts, I mean, that'd be a very strange sort of propaganda channel, wouldn't it? Just, he did, he did 10 years. He did 10 years trying to uh, circulate. Maybe... <laughs> That is, that is a weird, that is a, I think that's sad, man. Like, I do think that when they talk about cancel culture, they often talk at the top end, right? You know, people who are probably immune from cancellation, whereas I think the real issue is at the everyday level where people are working. I mean, even in teaching, Jesus Christ, I remember I took a copy of the Daily Telegraph into the staff room once. It was like a proper saloon doors swinging, you know, the barman, like, <laughs> just wiping out a cup, but you bring the Daily Telegraph in here, boy, we don't, we don't read no paper like that. Wow. That was my cowboy voice, by the way. From You finally found your cowboy I finally, voice. I finally found my cowboy voice. Well done, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Pedal right-wing podcast, woke-like friends. It is interesting to hear how your right-wing fans, presumably, right? Mm. They. It's interesting as like a left-wing person to hear we are cancel culture warriors and we think we're the goodies and everything else. I mean... If I mock the right playfully in comedy in any way, they are as triggered as anyone. Oh, I made a joke God, the yeah. other day about, you know, let's have the confidence of the straight white man. I mean, what's wrong with being called confident? The amount of vitriol that I got for saying that. I do think if you ever, let, let's be clear about this, right? Anyone listen to this, left or right, whatever your sort of political leans are, if you've ever formally complained about a joke, yeah. then fucking get on your knees and thank God that you have the space in your life to engage in such utter yeah. trivialities in life. Like, it is, it is a joke. I, I agree. I think I've, I spoke about this recently with... Um, with uh, Dominic Frisby, I, I think that the rise of the right-wing snowflake, because that's one thing I thought the right had recently that sort of made them a bit cool was that they were a bit more easygoing. But I see so much at the moment that I think snowflakery is non-binary and yeah. people getting all upset about who the fuck hasn't got a poppy on this week. I, 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 it'd be great if everyone wanted to wear poppies, but if people don't want to wear poppies, I mean, look, right, industry things shattered. On TV, you don't have to go. I can get. They have little bins of poppies in, right? So people don't yeah. aren't wearing poppies before you go on telly. So it's fucking meaningless. So that's the point. Is is it's yet another <laughs> stance. It's exactly the same as people pretending to be more left wing than they are. It's yeah. people pretending to be more right wing. So that, that is my one of my current bugbears is the rise of the right wing snowflake. It, it's the saddest snowflake for me. <laughs> I love that as a Christmas book for children. <laughs> well, thank you, Jeff. I love your stand-up. I love all of your TV appearances. And I love your book, Jeff Norcott, How the Left Lost Me. And I hope that people from all spectrums of the political sphere, the non-binary political sphere, pick it up. Because if anything... The bits I disagree with you on, I still found comforting uh, or illuminating or just, you know, challenging to, to my current understanding of the system. And I think that's a good thing only.
I think I think it's a, it's a it's a gauntlet that we're laying down. If you think you're open minded, then you buy both our books. Do it, <laughs> do it. Engage in this friendship that is so polarizing, and like it's been it's been fun to be on my own podcast. Okay, that is the end of this extra special book launch week edition of Catherine Ryan. No, it's not Catherine Ryan. It is Catherine Ryan. She's taken over the podcast now. Uh, no, uh, the podcast with Catherine Ryan. And thanks to her for giving up her time. And I suppose I could end with yet another desperate plea for you to buy the book. But the truth is, is the people that have bought it in this period are the people that I should be thanking because it's helped It's helped with the old nerves because when um, the tour, we, we envisaged a lot of the, the sales happening in and around the tour, and then suddenly that wasn't happening. So it's had a good start with the pre-orders, and hopefully it can kick on from here. But those people that are bordered when when I started fucking wanging on about it, when it was merely a twinkle in my fucking laptop. Thanks so much to you. As I say, the podcast will be back to normal next week. Uh, we've got a guest that many of the Patreons asked for, uh, Matt Ford, and I think it'll be good, good fun to uh, a good time to uh, interview former Labour man. Uh, Matt Ford but listen have a great week I hope you enjoy the book and if you have enjoyed it remember get those reviews up and I'll speak to you again soon